Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Only Three Lads. In this episode you're about to hear, we discuss our top five drummers with our very special guest, Hugo Burnham from Gang of Four. There's much more of our chat to follow. Tune in next week for a special extended interview bonus episode with Hugo. But now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Only Three Lads. Lads, I know the perfect place. It's big and it's empty. That sounds fine. But how do we all fit inside your head? Top five drummers with special guest Hedo Burnham from Gang of Four. Come on in. Welcome to another episode of the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. Once again, thank you for being here, being part of the Only Three Lads community. I am Uncle Greg. Of course, we have the rockster, Brett Fargo. Hello. And of course, this week, as a special guest, we have the big brother of Brett Vargo, Brian Vargo. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I, I have not earned a cool nickname yet, so I'll just go by Brian. That's all right. Brian. The show's still young. <laughs> <laughs> How about we call you Big Bro? Is that what? That work? would suit me fine. He is. He is my big bro. He is. We have a lot of musical history together. That's for sure. It's actually the 31st anniversary of our first concert, too. Really? As a band. Our, the first concert uh, we played of our first band in Norco, California as high school yes. students. Yep. What was the first song that you guys did? The first song we did? Well, we were actually big-headed enough where we thought that uh, as teenagers that we could tackle the Moody Blues in Search of the Lost Chord in its entirety, even though we barely knew how to play our instruments. So it was, uh, it was entertaining, we'll say that. Is there a recording of this? There, there is. is. There's a video, actually. <laughs> Oh, my God. You can see Brett uh, wearing uh, a schoolboy outfit a la, what is it, Angus Young? Angus Young, Young, yeah. Oh, God. Okay, we got to get our hands on this. Get this on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, we have a very special guest. Brett, why don't you introduce him? Today, we celebrate some of the greatest drummers of the classic alternative era. And since I'm an absolutely horrendous drummer myself, I look at drummers as being somewhat superhuman, possessing an innate sense of timing, amazing coordination, dexterity, and an uncanny ability to transform a song through a simple groove, a complex time signature, or a well-placed fill. And because I'm not a drummer... I can't say that I'll be overly eloquent about my choices today, so I'll probably sound like a little bit of a Neanderthal for most of the show. Me like beat. (laughs) I'll kick off my list this week by introducing our very special guest, 
one of the most important and influential bands of the O3L era, Gang of Four in their initial incarnation was truly that. Four musicians who occupied their own distinctive space, but who coalesced into a sound that was even greater than the sum of its parts. It was a jarring blend of the kinetic energy of John King's socially and politically charged vocals, the late great Andy Gill's stuttering slashing guitar, Dave Allen's bass, which was complex but never overly busy, and the man who we are absolutely honored to have with us today, drummer Hugo Burnham. Hugo's drums accentuated the brittle tension of Gang of Four's music, but man, oh man, can he groove. There is not a band since who has ever used the phrases post-punk, dance-punk, or funk-punk to describe themselves. They all owe a huge debt to the band and this man. So I can't believe I actually get to say this, but welcome Hugo Burnham to Only Three Lads. Thank you very much, Brett. I do have a nickname. Um, you can call me my lord. <laughs> my lord. <laughs> Thank my lord. you, my lord. Yeah, my lord. Okay. So, All right. So when we're being a little less formal. Okay. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right. Well, my lord, 2021 is, of course, a big year for Gang of Four. You had the recently released tribute album, The Problem of Leisure, that features artists who, again, are indebted to you. Bands like Idols, Helmet. You have Tom Morello, Flea, Gary Newman. And most importantly, of course, there is the gorgeous Matador Records box set behind me here, 77 to 81. Can you tell our listeners about this wonderful set? Well, I can. Um, it was originally going to be coming out in 2020, which would have been the 40th anniversary of the release of entertainment in the United States. It came out in England and Europe in 79, but we didn't have a record deal in the States at that time. Uh, we were working it out with Warner Brothers, which we did. And uh, it came out, I think, in February of 1980. So the whole point of the box set was to celebrate that in a big way rather than just yet another reissue of entertainment, which there have been a few over the years. And led by John, we put this together. The two and us spent probably 18 months um, with help. Obviously, we had a wonderful industrial designer and graphic designer who helped John put the box together, the physical box. Um, but the concept was John's. And we wanted to make it an authentic look back into what it was like, 77 to 81, the time that the original four of us were working together, playing together, being together, and what it was like, not just musically, but socially, politically at the time. So that is what the box celebrates. The best of the work, all the work, bar a tiny bit, and I'll get to that, that the four of us uh, did together. The one thing that is missing that a few of this sort of uh, music anorak saying, well, where's it? Is the original EP <laughs> that was put out on Fast Product, the Damaged Goods mm. EP. Yeah. It was a legal issue because it was never released in the States. It is rather impossible to find out who really owns it anymore. And we've certainly never earned a brass farthing from it. But that's another story. So we couldn't include that, but all the songs are there. There are four vinyl records in the box set. Entertainment, Solid Gold, our second album, a, uh, a record of all the singles and EPs that we put out during the period, and a, I think it's a side and a half 
uh, live album from uh, a show we did in San Francisco in 1980 at the North American Indian Center, which was an incendiary time for us live. That's amazing. And we man- I managed to find the original engineer who'd done it, um, who still had the masters, and he was very gracious and very kind. And um, we worked with him to get a great, great masters that we could use and include in the set. And there are also a couple of badges, and there's a cassette of all our old, uh, most of our old original demos leading up to both Entertainment and Solid Gold. And there's a book, a 100-page hardcover book with contributions from lots of different people, not just musicians, but artists, filmmakers, friends, crew, sharing stories and things from that time and, you know, acknowledging their delightful love of the band and little moments in their lives that featured us. So, and lots of old pictures and photographs. It was a labor of love. It took us a long time. Uh, and yeah. we're thrilled. I mean, it came out finally, I mean, you know, 2020, bang, COVID, then a- and Andrew passed. So there's a lot of, lot of things to deal with and work with. Um, so it was delayed. And of course, getting anything manufactured during that period uh, was delayed. But uh, it did come out finally in February or March this year. There were 3,000 numbered uh, vinyl box sets, which just went um, <laughs> all sold out. I wish we'd made 4,000. <laughs> That's a good sign. Good sign. Um, it is. Um, and then uh, the CD version is imminent. It should have been out already. But again, manufacturing problems have really slowed things down. And it, it's sad because, you know, a lot of people put their money down to make sure they got a copy early. And I, I get messages on Facebook or people found me at my job and sort of said, what's happening? I paid. It's like, you feel <laughs> terrible, but it's not my fault. <laughs> I told you before, Brian is a huge, probably the biggest Gang of Four fan that I know. And he is waiting very impatiently for that CD box. Yeah, I'm a CD guy. I, I love vinyl, but I, I listen to most of my music on CDs. So I'm, I can't wait till next month when it comes out. Yep. Well, good. Well, if you don't get it, um, do you have my email? I'm sure Brett does. Well, lose it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sir. Pay for it. Pay for it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, they will come. I, you know, it's, it, it's me. I know how that feels. Um, so I, I'm, I apologize on behalf of our manufacturers and the uh, pretty fabulous people at Matador who've done a great job. All right. Should we get into lists now? Oh, God, lists. I kept talking, hoping <laughs> we'd it. run out of time so I didn't have to. <laughs> oh, sorry. God. All right. So you want drummers for me yeah you want to start with your number five hugo i I will start by saying i hate these things because there are not just five drummers that matter to me and five drummers today can be a different five drummers tomorrow we'll finish this like oh bugger i should have said somebody somebody we do that every week i know okay so (laughs) i'm going to give you five from my list of what is it because I was building up a playlist for Spotify. <laughs> Top um, five My drummers. 22. Okay. Well, we'll start with number five, and then we'll, then okay. we'll rotate around. In no particular order, but Clyde Stubblefield. Ooh. Clyde Stubblefield. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I got the feeling. I mean, Good one. I got the feeling. It's just, it's, if that's the only song he ever recorded, he's still a god, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I knew and loved his drumming before I knew who it was. Um, Excellent. So that's that's five. Perfect. All right, Brian. Do you uh, do you want to go for number five? 
Sure. You know, I wasn't sure whether to choose Chris France or Clem Burke, and I went with Clem Burke. Hmm. an extraordinary drummer probably the closest kind of alternative group in this era the closest to keith moon as as a drummer can get but he was also very steady and able to uh, to apply his skills to a kind of a greater range of styles and brett you may remember when we started our first band uh we said oh if we could have any drummer in the drum seat it would yep. be clem burke that's right Oh, you bitches, you didn't want me? <laughs> <laughs> I was not hip enough at that time. We had a very unique approach in that we thought that it was the drummer's role to keep up with us, not the other way around. Right, yeah. 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 Sounds- and that didn't happen, needless to say. It didn't work, no. All right, great choice. Gregory. Yeah, well, my number five, David Barbarossa from Bow Wow Wow, also mm. Republica. He and I have something in common. What's that? We're both Tottenham Hotspur fans. <laughs> ah, Premier well, League. I just, whenever I hear his drumming from Bow Wow Wow, you know, like if you're listening to Gold Wild in the Country, C30, C60, C90 Go, and I Want Candy, right away when he starts playing, you know who's playing the drums, and that's why I picked him yeah. for my number five. It's a good choice. Good one. My number four. No, you're number, number five. five. No, I already did number five. Yeah. My number you five was you, Hugo. Oh, it was? Yeah, that was my intro to you. Oh, I see. What do you mean I five? Missed it. What do you mean number five? See, I, I have to say, I thought Hugo was just grandfathered into number one on all of our lists, and we were saying well, five that aren't Hugo. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're off my Christmas card list now, Brett. I only placed <laughs> you at number five as way of introduction, or else you would have okay. placed much higher. That's good backstroke. Thank well you. done. Thank you. I appreciate right. that. <laughs> Your number four. All right, so my number four is the late great Bruce Gary from the Knack. I know the old adage is, you know, never trust a guy with two first names, Greg Paul. <laughs> but I think you've already yep. dispelled that, Greg. So I know I that know. my Sharona may be overplayed, but do me a quick favor. Listen to the original guitar-only demo of the song and try to avoid hearing the distinctive drum pattern in your head. You can't do it. Because the drums are such an integral part of the overall presentation of the record, and the way he drives the song in double time during the guitar solo helps to make it an exhilarating rush even 42 years later. But he wasn't all my Sharona. Let me get that straight. He injected the power into the band's power pop, and he always achieved a really live drum sound, which I love. Listen to tracks like Let Me Out, Africa, or my favorite Knack track, Just Wait and See, and revel in how open and spacious his drums sound. The snare pops, the kick kicks, the toms pound, and the cymbals sizzle like you were in the same room with them. And he wasn't just about the Knack. He had a long career beforehand with Jack Bruce, Alex Harvey. Wait a minute. Yes. Alex Harvey? He did some work with Alex Harvey. Our Alex Harvey? Yes. (laughs) 
Okay. And he played with George Harrison on the Shanghai yep. Surprise soundtrack. So that's a big feather in his cap. And uh, the reformed spirit. So, And overdubbed on Jimi Hendrix. He did overdub on Jimi Hendrix. That's right. For better or worse. Okay, so because you're such an anorak about this, I will now go and re-listen a little bit. I, I, I say that I say that I say that in a laudatory way that I'm I'm impressed with your knowledge about him. That's great. <laughs> That's what Brett does to you every week. No, the drumming really is uh, pretty spectacular on those records. Cool, great. Regardless of what you think of uh, Doug Feger's sometimes uh, juvenile lyrics, the only thing I can remember about <laughs> Doug Feger, they were recording while we were at Abbey Road. And uh, we played Space Invaders a lot, and the man had terrible body odor. <laughs> Never showered. <laughs> I think that's how he won. We, you couldn't st- stay at the machine too long. Little girls didn't understand that. No. Apparently not. No. All right, Hugo, you're number four. Winston Grennan. <laughs> who, they said? Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say who to that. Winston Grennan. Come on. I'll name the best song, okay? Funky Kingston. Ah, oh, Toots. Toots. He's the Maytals drummer, Toots. right? Ah. Toots. Yep. Winston Grennan. I mean, just, just that one song. I mean, everything. But you listen to that one song in Funky Kingston when he comes in after the break. Goes, bap, bap. I mean, that's yeah. just like, oh, my God. I wish I could do that. I can't. So, Winston Grennan, one of the greatest, greatest reggae drummers ever. He made it sound so simple. It's just impossible to try to recreate those bits that he did. I mean, you know, slide on bar is amazing and fabulous and brilliant, but Winston Grennan. Now, after you explained that, I will agree with you. Yes. In fact, one of my proud dad moments was yesterday taking my son to the record store for Record Store Day. He's 17, and he he did pick out Funky Kingston, which was uh, reissued for Record Store Day yesterday. Damn. Okay, great. Yeah. (laughs) He sent me a a picture of that over text, too. I was proud of him. Proud of my nephew. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, Brian, what do you got? Uh, You know, I'm going with someone who I think is unheralded, largely. Uh, Peter Prescott. Of Mission of Burma, mm. a fantastic drummer. Uh, versus the Versus album is uh, a clinic of amazing drumming. From the kind of stuttering rhythm of of Micah, or the heavy but still really funky uh, rhythm of Weatherbox. Just an, an incredible drummer. And to play with that, the, the effects, I mean, they were one of the early bands to use a lot of electronic, very strange real-time effects. Yeah. Uh, that's not easy to do. He, he complemented those effects very well with his drumming. So that interplay, phenomenal. All right, good one. Well, number four on my list of uh, top drummers is a drummer who's responsible for the most, I think, inventive patterns of the grunge era, Sean Kenny of Alice in Chains. That guy, I don't know, I just find a precision and some fresh drumming, clean hitting, technical ability. I think I could really feel the passion in his playing and that's what I kind of love when I hear the drums, you know, I'm a big bass guy. And so when you have that rhythm section going and they're in the pocket, 
Um, that's what you really hear, at least what I hear with Alice in Chains. But um, I could really tell that this guy loves the art of sculpting drum sounds, and uh, that's why I just love Sean Kenny, number four on my list for the O3L era drummers. I'm not overly familiar, as you know, Greg. That was not my wheelhouse. Well, you know, Wood, Them Bones, just listen to those songs, especially Wood, how it just kicks off. Great band. Little Doomy, Little Gloomy, not for you, because <laughs> I know you like more of the power pop. Uh, you know, Hugo Brett, he's more of the Brit pop guy. Mm. You know, that's his wheelhouse. I am what I am. You are. So that's so uh, Oasis or Blur, Hugo? Between the two, Oasis. I know they piss everybody off, but <laughs> God, they had some great songs. <laughs> They sure did. did. All right. Well, it's the Only Three Lads podcast. Don't forget, we are on a lot of platforms like Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Apple, and the iHeartRadio app. Make sure and head over to the Facebook page. Hit like, hit notifications. Our episodes come out every Tuesday. And, of course, this week we have a great guest. And stick around. Our list of our top five drummers continues after this. This is Vanessa Briscoe Hay, and you're listening to the Only Three Lads podcast. If you're enjoying today's special guest, Hugo Burnham, as much as we are, you owe it to yourself to pick up the beautifully curated box set 77 to 81 from store.matadorrecords.com. Containing their seminal 1979 debut, Entertainment, its 1981 follow-up, Solid Gold, a singles disc, a 1980 live set recorded in San Francisco, demos, rarities, and a gorgeous book of essays, photos, and ephemera. The LP box set is currently sold out, but pre-order the CD set, which is set to ship in mid-July. Again, head over to store.matadorrecords.com to order. Now back to the show. Thanks for sticking around. Episode 66 of the Only Three Lads podcast. Don't forget, head over to the Facebook page. Hit like. We got a merch table there, basically. You just shop. We got a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, a lot of great t-shirts and uh, support the podcast. Show your support for everything and our love for the community and love of classic alternative music by picking something up. And of course, we have Hugo here from the Gang of Four. Go pick up his box set. Yeah, pick it up. I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a little bit, the manufacturing, getting that all done and getting it out, but I'm excited. I'm definitely uh, not a big uh, as a fan as Brett or Brian, but I am going to become one because I know that I've been listening to a lot of your music this week, and it's like, God, I can't believe I missed all this. Well, thank you. That's very gracious of you to say it. I think that what you should really do is buy three or four copies. Yeah, they make no, great totally. gifts. That's <laughs> like, you know, because... Because it came out as cassettes and vinyl at first, then it went to CD, now it's back to vinyl, and whoever knows what's next, how they can sell it again. Just keep buying it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, once I find a working tape player, I will be listening to the cassette in the box that I have not yet. You can come over to my house. Yeah, they're fun. At some point, you know, we'll make those available to the streaming services, possibly, but you know, we wanted to make something special for the people that committed yeah. to buying the box set. Well, it's cool, and it feels very authentic, too, to have those demos on cassette. Well, I mean, the writing on them is exactly the writing I did on the original cassette where oh, wow. I had them all. I mean, it really was, as okay, the cassette's read in the box, but it's exactly how we wrote it when we brought them out of the, uh, the, the rehearsal room, the studio in, um, oh, God, where was it, in near Manchester, and from Abbey Road when we were demoing there. Very cool. All right, well, my number three 
is not just a token go-betweens mention by me. It's because Lindy Morrison is one of my favorite drummers. Lindy got her start in the late 70s Brisbane punk scene with the anarchist feminist group Zero, when there were plenty of things to rally against in the oppressed police state of the day. Her time in the go-betweens from 1980 to 1989 is, of course, what she's best known for, and she was unconventional in that she would introduce unusual time signatures into what on the surface seemed like relatively straightforward songs. A perfect example of this, listen to the way that her beat stutters and gallops on 1983's Cattle and Cane. It goes from straight 4-4 to 2-4 to 5-4 and then moves to 11-8 at some point in the song. It's deceptively complex, but she makes it sound effortless. She was basically the glue in that classic lineup of the band that could unify the somewhat disparate nature of the two songwriter songs, the spikier archness of Robert Forster and the classic tunefulness of Grant McLennan. And as an aside, Tracy Thorne from Everything But The Girl has just released a book entitled My Rock and Roll Friend, which is a great read all about her friendship with Lindy. Highly recommended there. But Lindy Morrison, tough as nails, extraordinarily sweet and generous at the same time, and forever cool, and my number three. Nice pick. Thank you. Good three. A good three. Thank you. All right, so my three's coming up, but I do just want to uh, go back and say Peter Prescott is something else. And what makes him an even better drummer is he's a lovely human being. Mm. Really good fellow. All right, my number three is Simon Kirk. Ooh. I mentioned free earlier. You just listen to Mr. Big or anything. Yeah. Space. He hits them hard, and the way he, his body, when he plays, if you see, I mean, he's just sort of semi-hunched over, but he looks so big at it, and just, you know, I'm not going to wax on, you know, trying to, but just, he got me the first time I saw him on Top of the Pops, and that's a drummer I wanted to be and wanted to be like. Um, and, you know, and then went on, of course, um, you know, with Paul Rogers uh, to... Um, Bad Company. Bad Company, thank you. You rescued me there at a moment. Give me a moment. You know, great drummer. Uh, very nice man. When I met him at, uh, I met him once at um, Jerry Wexler's memorial service, and he was very gracious. Excellent. All right, Brian. Uh, my number three is from a band I really love, uh, and I so I just had to include him, uh, Robert Gray, or Robert Goda from Wire. I love Wire, one of the most important bands to me. Uh, he was perfect for those early uh, recordings of Wire where they did this sort of punk miniatures, very spiky. Uh, to use a word that uh, is used, perhaps overused, to describe Gang of Four, they really were angular. A phenomenal drummer. They went on to make some, what I would argue, some of the finest psychedelic music ever. Uh, with chairs missing and and one five four, and his drumming was perfectly suited to that. And then in the eighties, their kind of uh, rye take on the pop of the day, he was well suited to that, and he's still 
kicking no small amount of booty to this day. I've seen Wire a few times, and along with Gang of Four, one of the groups that really still, I think, captures the sort of dangerous spirit of the time. And and, uh, and sounds, as I imagine, they did much, much back in the day. So uh, he, he's my number three. The fact that he compares us in some way is a real honor because Wire are very, very special indeed. Forever interested and engaged and drawn in by the constant new music they keep making. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a very special band. Yes. Happy to be in that uh, pocket. <laughs> All right. Well, coming in at number three for me is an intelligent pick from Brian. Of course, Clem Burke. He was one of those drummers. He sat behind a certified sex symbol, but sometimes he stole that spotlight from Deborah Harry. Of course, just go back and listen to Dreaming, that song. You can hear this guy's drumming, of course. Uh, Burke, he played with the Ramones, Romantics, Pete Townsend, Bob Dylan, Iggy Pop, Arrhythmics, a billion of other people, but this guy was an innovator, a disruptor, and an icon. Clem Burke, number three for me for this week. What an intelligent pick, Greg. Very intelligent. Yes. I can tell Brian he's he's thought about this. Intelligent Indeed. guy. I feel in good yes. cars. <laughs> Do you owe him money or something? <laughs> None. Zero. I just met him. You met him before I did. That's true. This is the first time Brian and Greg have met. I've known him my whole life. So hopefully I don't owe him any money. <laughs> I've only known you for the last 46 years. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, my number two is Pete Thomas from The Attractions. Pete is Elvis Costello at this point, his longest musical companion, even stuck with him during the post-attraction dark days of the late 80s and early 90s. But to be an Elvis collaborator, you really need to be versatile because Elvis has a tendency to change styles probably more than I change underwear, which is a valuable reminder that I need to take care of that. Depends on who you are. But anyway, I'm joking, kids. But being able to adapt from straight ahead rock and roll to reggae to soul to jazz to whatever else Elvis throws at you is a wonder in itself. But Pete can capably handle it all. For evidence of the man's prowess, I direct you to... Something like, I don't want to go to Chelsea, and especially Lipstick Vogue from this year's model, both of which leave me absolutely exhausted and I didn't even do a dang thing. To hear how he can swing and groove, listen to Get Happy, Get Lost in the Rhythm, or for his more nuanced playing, turn to something like 1982's Imperial Bedroom or 1996's All This Useless Beauty as shining examples. His name can also be found on records by like Matthew Sweet, Ron Sexsmith, Cheryl Crow, hmm? Rufus Wainwright, Richard Thompson, Randy Newman, it goes on and on. What's amazing is that as many different eclectic styles as he's capable of, you can always tell when it's a Pete Thomas drum part. And not that this has anything to do with anything, but he also produces wonderful offspring. His drummer, Tennessee, or his his drummer, his daughter, <laughs> Tennessee Thomas, is a wonderful drummer in her own right. She was in the band The Like which uh, actually produced one of my favorite albums of all time, 2010's Release Me. So anyway, that's an aside. Anybody that listens to the show knows that I'm a huge Elvis nut. Pete Thomas plays a huge part in that. So that's my number two. 
It's a very sound number two. I don't want to go to Chelsea. It's one of the greatest songs ever. And uh, so much of that is his drumming on it. Absolutely. Yes. All right, my number two. Oh, of course, it's backwards. Bugger. The, the camera's backwards. But I'm showing you a book that is called Sympathy for the Drummer. Why Charlie Watts Matters. And it's written by a guy called Mike Edison, and it is one of the most engaging books I've read. He's funny. He knows his history. He knows music. He knows drummers. He knows influences. And it was one of the best reads because I've always loved Charlie Watts. My worst nightmares, playing on stage with the Rolling Stones and there's no <laughs> kick drum pedal, or the bass keeps slipping forward, or I've got no trousers on, or so anything. <laughs> but just it, all it does is sum up that I am not Charlie Watts. And it, it, it's a, that's a nightmare for me. Oh. Um, one, very early on, after I'd left Gang of Four, I did a session with Nicky Sudden uh, from... Um, oh, God. Senior Swell music. Maps. Swell, thank you. Swell Maps. You got it. And... Uh, the story was that uh, he was doing a special single and he asked, he reached out to the Rolling Stones management and asked for Charlie Watts to come and play on it. And Charlie said no. So who did they go to next? <laughs> One of those little moments that makes life living. Um, I love Charlie Watts. He is such an influence on my style. Less is more. He knows how to swing and he sits just ever so slightly back on the beat, which is not a particularly English thing and not a particularly white thing. Right. Just back on the pocket you know just mm. and again i'll point to monkey man that just dude boom boom you know that's i ha i have my hi-hat set very high because my left hand is often coming underneath it to do patterns on the rack tom and it's all from monkey man uh, i love charlie watts i love the rolling stones he is the daddy and i met him once yes my dad wow. met him once. <laughs> I was tour managing a jazz band on Virgin Records called Working Week, and they were playing a show with he and another jazz drummer. They were doing like a two drummers thing. And I come in, and he's setting up his own kit. And I just, I was, you know, I stopped drib dribbling and managed to get myself <laughs> enough to get go, oh, hello, um, my name's Hugo. I'm working with, you know, and he said, oh, hello, Hugo. I'm Charlie. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like being no hanging from a cross and saying, yeah, my name's Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You know, lovely, gracious, and probably the best-dressed man in the world. I agree. He is a dapper gentleman. He really is. So, yeah, Charlie Watts is number two. He's number one for me, but he's number two on this list. So what do you think his best drumming work is? What song? Monkey Man. All right, Brian? Incredible number two. Hugo, I love Charlie. Uh, whenever that drum kicks in on Tumbling Dice, it just sends a shiver up my spine. Anyway, my number two, I'm going to break up the testosterone here a little bit. Uh, because I think, you know, this show, I think, uh, covers 1974 to 1999, correct? Yes. And uh, I think one of the most important developments to occur during that time was you had uh, women uh, more prominently represented in rock music. And they went from being kind of, you know, you had the occasional Mo Tucker to, you know, in the 90s, 
about a lot of really popular and influential uh, female fronted and, and dominated groups. Uh, some of my favorites are the slits and the raincoats, some of those early ones. So I almost went with Paul Olive, but uh, I, I went with Janet Weiss of Slater Kinney, All right. uh, who is, I, I, I don't want to now say, oh, a great female. She's just one of the greatest rock drummers, really, I think I've ever heard. Uh, my favorite album of hers kind of falls outside of the scope of the show, which is uh, The Woods. I love it. Mm -hmm. Just a powerhouse uh, a set of songs, and, and she really is uh, a huge part of that. But uh, her drumming on uh, Dig Me Out from, I think, 97, unbelievably good. And when you have songs that kind of skeletal and sparse that really rely on rhythm and no bass, no bass to lock into... She came up with some really innovative and interesting parts that, that, that kind of propel those songs and may, help make them really memorable. So she, she would be my number two. A very fine number two. We, and I say we without going into great detail, but me and three other people I'm going to be making music with in August, when we finish doing our week of making music together, um, Wilco and Slater Kinney are playing an hour or so north of here. So we're all going to go up and see them. Uh, wow, uh, that would be a fabulous evening. Both wonderful bands, so very excited. Absolutely, yeah. No, she she is the balls. Unfortunately, no longer in the insulator, Kenny. Oh, what she left? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. God, it was, really? and it was not a uh, happy parting. But she's no longer. See, it shows how fucking hip I am. I haven't. I didn't. I didn't know that. Oh dear <laughs> lord. Oh well. Still be a good show, though. No oh, doubt. Of course, it's a great yeah, show. Yeah. Yeah. What is she doing now? Is she playing with anyone else? She might well be, but I, I'm not sure. It, it happened just uh, I, maybe at the beginning of 2019, something like that. Oh, oh, maybe the remaining members of Gang of Four can go out as a Gary gets a cover band and she can join me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. We'll go see that. I'd pay to see that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, great. All right, well, we're at my number two. And Brian, I almost picked Gina Shock. Oh, for right. my list from the Go-Go's, of course, if you listen to Get Up and Go, just her drumming on that song should put her on a list. Just, it sounds like two different people playing the drums on that here, song. Here, here. But my number two this week, runner-up, on my list of the top five drummers of the Only Three Lads era is a guy that really helped build the template for grunge in the 90s, the alternative rock. Uh, you know, he might have been number one on my list, but Dave Grohl, of course, is now a guitarist and in his current project, uh, Foo Fighters. But without Grohl's playing, you know, do you think that Smells Like Teen Spirit would have sent grunge and Seattle's music scene into the mainstream? Probably unlikely. But Grohl, he pounds his drums like he means every swing of it. Uh, he's going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a second time this year. And I think it was last week, Brett, that I was, we were talking about Dave Grohl. Yeah. And I really do believe he's one of the most important musicians of the last, you know, 30 years for sure, but possibly even 50 years. So Dave Grohl, number two for me of the top drummers. It's easy to slam Dave Grohl, which a lot of people do, because he's just sort of everywhere and does everything. But look, he is an extraordinarily hard worker. He has an absolute finger on the pulse of what works. And... He is living every 14-year-old drummer boy's dream. 
He is living the rock god dream. And I have no criticism for it. Mm. Oh, God, it's Dave Grohl again. Oh, God, Dave Grohl again. It's like, <laughs> yeah. great. I wish I had had the chance to go in that direction. Not in any way putting down the direction I have gone in and have taken, but Dave Grohl is a rock star. He's great mm-hmm. at it. He's gracious. He's fun. He's kind to fans and other musicians. Long live Dave Grohl. Amen. And have you ever seen his documentary series, Cradle to Stage? Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I like it a lot. It is the Only Three Lads podcast where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. We have a special guest, Hugo Burnham, from Gango 4. Of course, our other special guest, Brian Virgo. Uh, just, <laughs> Virgo? You know, well, Vargo, I'm sorry. I have Virgo. I'm Usually a Virgo. I can't speak. Well, you're a Virgo? I am. Explains a lot. Explains a lot. And I'm a Pisces. You sure you didn't mean to say you had vertigo? <laughs> That's part of it, too. There's sometimes my mouth just doesn't work because my brain bounces around. My brain is like a little rubber ball in a concrete box. And so now it's like, you know, then I, it's like this internal dialogue. You're talking to people on the podcast, but then I have this internal dialogue talking to me. It just doesn't work really yeah, we well. We try not to overstimulate Greg. <laughs> yeah, you don't have Or feed him after midnight. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> So we are taking a look at our top five drummers of the only three lad era. We're at our number ones, and they're coming up after this. We asked the O3L community for your favorite drummers, and you responded with some amazing ones. Some of the great choices out there, Paige Rockwell said Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick, Kimberly Brown chose Gary Wallace from Pink Floyd and Mike and the Mechanics, Adam Nuremberg suggested Eric Carr from Kiss, Andy Hunter threw Rob Hurst from Midnight Oil into the ring, Ryan Hancock nominates Stephen Morris from Joy Division and New Order. Bill Ball came up with a really cool one in Dominic Luckman from Cardiacs. Chris Samerta had Mike Borden from Faith No More. Michael DeWeese included Curly Smith from JoJo Gunn and Gary Myrick's band. Julio Santos had Brian Mantia from Primus. And Joshua Daniel Cole. The answer is always Neil Peart and only Neil Peart. Thanks to the community for sounding off. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Episode 66 of the Only Three Lads podcast. I am Uncle Greg. We have the PhD of music, the rocker, Brett Vargo. I love all the nicknames. Thank you. But I don't have the nickname of Malor. No. Well, that's well. No, I, you know, there are very few of us that do, just to let you know. Um, yes. You know, probably not. You got to work your way up to it. Oh, I yeah. Know. Well, you, or you're like me, you're born into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it happens. Of course, that's Hugo. And then, of course, we have Brian Vargo, and his nickname is the Big Bro. Big Bro. Oh, you can call me the Jester. I mean, if he's the Lord, I'm pretty much the court jester. But you've had a great list, though. There's nothing wacky or goofy about your list. You're just like your brother, though. You bring, like, that Brett weird where you throw a curveball where it sends me into a, you know, like a, a, a rabbit hole. I'm going to go down and check everyone's picks and then be like, ugh. Nothing ugh. wacky about my list. Yeah. Wait till you hear my number one. It's, it's Neil Pert. Oh, boy. <laughs> no. I'm signing out now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Pierre. Remember, you know, it's kind of like when um, uh, Rick Ocasek died. It was Rick Ocasek. And then Neil Peart became Neil Peart. Oh, Peart. Because they were saying, we were always saying his name wrong. I just know oh, he was okay. in Roosh. He was in Roosh. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> See? And Brian's funny, big bro. All right. Awesome. Well, we're at our number ones. We're at our number ones. And guess what? There is a couple of very intelligent picks out there. And kind of funny how, you know, Brian and I did not talk 
before the show about any of our picks. No. And yet our notes were strikingly similar for my number one, because I ask you, are you looking for a drummer in the alternative era who is capable of playing with the wild flash of Keith Moon with the timing and precision of Ringo? Well, you can't get any closer in the era that we're talking about than Clem Burke. Is there anyone who doesn't get a thrill to this day from the opening of Blondie's first album, Ex Offender, where you go from that big Spectre-esque drum beat into that rapid fire. I talked about versatility with Pete Thomas and Clem Burke was thrust into a similar situation because, of course, Blondie stylistically, especially as they progressed all over the map from punk rock to Mersey beat to surf rock to girl group to disco to rap to jazz, whatever. And Clem is able to do it all, but he always injects his own personality, power and energy into his work. Sometimes he sounds unhinged, but never to the detriment of serving the song. Also on tracks like Heart of Glass, Atomic, Rapture, that are just pretty much strict four on the floor rhythms, but he plays it with the tastefulness and skill of Sheik's Tony Thompson. Pretty amazing feat. And he looked cool doing it too. <laughs> you know, the mop top haircut, the mod target shirt. But I thought that this was an interesting insight in his playing. I was reading an article in, uh, gosh, I think it was Music Radar, where he chose his top 10 drum albums. So I'll just rattle them off real quickly. Because he chose Meet the Beatles, the Dave Clark Five's Greatest Hits, the Who's My Generation, Booker T and the MG's Greatest Hits, Dave Brubeck, Time Out, John Coltrane, A Love Supreme, mm. Ziggy Stardust, Marquee Moon, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And then he picked anything with Hal Blaine or Earl Palmer. And the number of records that either of them appeared on is pretty staggering. So he kind of cheated on a top 10, but <laughs> that's all right. But in the context of his career, it all makes perfect sense because you can hear those influences in his playing. But he's definitely a singular talent. So that's why he's my number one this week. Clem. I hear that his number 11 Clem. album was entertainment. I'm sure it was. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's my turn. Yes, sir. Am I allowed to do honorable mentions before I hit the number one? Yes. Okay, I'm going to mention the name of a drummer and just the song that just does it for me. I'm just going to do that, and I'm not going to wax further than that. Keith Moon, I Can See for Miles. Doug Clifford, Susie Q. Mm. Paul Ferguson, Change. Honey Lantry, Have I the Right? Topper Hedden, Tommy Gun. Jackie Leibowitz, Vitamin C. Dave Ruffy, Jar War. John Marr, Moving Away from the Pulse Beat. Yeah. Sly Dunbar, Let Him Go. Ringo Starr, Polythene Pam and the End Medley. Ian Pace, Speed King. Bonham, When the Levee Breaks. Paul Thompson, 2HB. The Big Figure, Keep It Out of Sight. Pete Phipps, I'm the Leader of the Gang. And Andy Gill, It's Her Factory. Ah, that's why he's a professor right there. It's Her Factory, so you could take uh, vocal duties. That's exactly what happened. Aha. Uh -huh. All right, so I, I, I think this, is, this may be a surprise to everybody with my number one. 
It's a man I know fairly well. We get on well. He's always very kind and gracious. I actually, there's a band called The Split Squad who asked me to come and record with them about seven or eight years ago on a song with this other drummer. We are both on the same song drumming together. And you asked about highs in my career. That was one of them. And this is a drummer who, I mean, I'm not sure any of you have heard of. His name's Clem Burke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there we go. You buggers took all my thunder talking about them so eloquently (laughs) first. But yeah, there, he's right at the top of my list. Always has been. Um, wow. He is a machine. I, you know, you say not. He, he's the only drummer I know who can do a whole set, not just wearing a jacket, but with the button done up in the middle, <laughs> and still plays. <laughs> he is a god. He is on Olympus. Incredible. Great choice. Greg, is that our first quadruple crossover? I believe so. Wow. This is history Before here be- on the show. Well, actually a quadruple, but we don't have a sound effect for that. Brian? Uh, I'm going to start with a couple of honorable mentions myself. Uh, Stephen Morris, uh, mm-hmm. Sean Moore of the Manic Street Preachers, Tommy Ann, Marky Ramon, Lori Driver of all people. I love the adverts. Yeah. Um, Grant Hart, Steve Golding. Oh, Steve uh, Golding. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't know if they count as alternative, but Paul Thompson and Dale Griffith, two fantastic drummers. Sure. Uh, John Marr. Uh, and I wish that there was a single drummer that could be credited for the fine work on one of my favorite albums, Metal Box by Public Image Limited. Uh, but I think there are something like 57 different drummers on that album. Uh, Martin Atkins, I know, is one of them, and Richard Dudansky. He's, he's, he's the principal yeah. drummer, yeah. But uh, it's it's a fantastic album. Uh, and, of course, you are legitimately in my top five, but I figured we all kind of stipulated that by virtue of the fact that you're here and we love <laughs> you. But uh, I went with... Uh, a, Topperheaden. Uh, the the Clash yes. is one of the most important and meaningful bands uh, in my life of loving music. They were the first punk band that I really discovered and got into probably around 1989 when I was in high school. I wasn't really too hip before that. Um, and, you know, Brett kept using the word versatility to describe a couple of drummers on his list. And to me, he's one of the most versatile drummers from that punk genre. And uh, the Sandinista album alone demonstrates so many different styles of drumming that he he pulls off remarkably well from the sort of almost Gang of Four-esque Ivan meets G.I. Joe. Uh, to the pure like dub reggae that 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 kind of permeates album to the jazz of, of say look here a magnificent seven beautiful funky drumming just a, a magnificent album I just love them and I can't imagine the clash without them even though of course they started without them and ended uh, not so 
notably well <laughs> without him. But it, just to me, uh, one of the finest drummers ever. Here, here, a really right behind you all the way there. Fantastic, fantastic drummer. All right, great pick. Thank great you. pick. Love the clash. All right, I'm going to talk about some of my honorable mentions. Paul Ferguson almost made my list from Killing Joke. Love that band. Love the drumming on almost every one of their songs. Love Like Blood is the one that really sticks out for me. I already talked about Gina Shock with Get Up and Go. Patty Schimmel from Hole. Mm. I thought that uh, she could make my list. Maybe she would come in at number seven. But uh, my number one pick for the best drummer of the Only Three Lads era is another guy who hits his drum with a real pulverizing style. And every time I see him behind the drums on TV or on a video, I stop to watch because I know it's not going to suck. But Mike Borden's hard-hitting, funky style helped Faith and Domore soar into superstardom in 1989 with the song Epic. And then I, myself, like most of us, went back and discovered his thunder cracks with We Care A Lot. Uh, you know, Faith Knows Faith No More, their uh, album Angel Dust, there's this song called Jizz Lobber. You got to oh. hear his drumming on that. It's just amazing. And I think it's something that every young drummer should go and hear and be inspired by him. Uh, he played with Ozzy Osbourne, Jerry Cantrell's solo projects. So Mike Borden, my number one drummer this week on the Only Three Lads podcast. Sounds like a charming song. And a nice inspirational yeah. image. Yes. <laughs> I saw him play with uh, Ozzy once. It was re He's really good. Um, yeah. Nice, nice grouping of drummers. For, that just if I can, I meant to say, but I forgot uh, another link. I have with uh, Clem and also John Ma from the Buzzcocks is all three of us played premier resonator drums. We were all, um, uh, what was the word, endorsees. They probably gave Clem his for free because he was a real rock star. Um, I, I, I paid cost for mine. Um, but I went to the factory and chose how they would be wrapped. I chose the sizes. I was going to go for, uh, I think it was orange glitter, you know, real old school 60s. They said, oh, no, sorry, Clem Burke was just here. He he took them. He, we only had a couple Aww. of sheets left, and he took them all. So <laughs> that was annoying. Um, but fantastic drums. I mean, Keith Moon used to play them, English Drum Company. Uh, so I just want to put a shout out. I still have my Premier Resonators. The Resonators were twin shells. They had a sort of extra shell inside wow. and they were like cannons beautiful drums beautifully made in england so heath moon clem burke me john Marr. that's a gang of four for you absolutely <laughs> you and of course premier drums uh immortalized on the who sell out with yes. premier drums premier drums yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now, Hugo, what do you think about drum machines? Do you have a favorite drum machine? Yeah, the one, the one in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. No, I, okay, so listen, technology is brilliant, but I'd, I'd left Gang of Four. Well, no, they were using it when we were doing Songs of the Free. The worst thing about drum machines was that it made producers and guitar players think they could be drummers. And so they were programming it. Like, Play like this. It's like, fuck off. Well, you know, the first drum machine was made by a guitarist. Well, of course. Just like you said. <laughs> <laughs> Guitar players don't like drummers because we talk, we speak the truth. 
and because we're the ones that have to load the van and unload the van and drive while they're pissed drunk not from personal experience of course that would be ungracious (laughs) for me to give that impression a generalization (laughs) right um a great piece of technology horribly overused by mostly by the wrong people you get a drummer to program it great what do you expect me to say for my <laughs> sake? Just, just that. <laughs> I was waiting They're for They're nice it. for bedroom demos, so I'll say that much. Yes, they are. Yeah, but, you know, why don't you just get, you know, why don't you just get electronic drums? I mean, I, I had a Simmons kit early on because the guy that invented them was in a little band called The Band. No, The Group, um, Dave Simmons, uh, that a friend of mine managed. Uh, they're terrible things, but Roland, for instance, their V drums are fantastic. But whatever, I, you know, <laughs> everything works when it's worked when it's played well and played with attitude and ideas. So that's really, you know. But when it when it's a tool, it's great. When it's a crutch, throw it in the rubbish. Well, I can tell you why I don't play electronic drums on my demos. Uh, it's because it would sound like someone gave drumsticks to a drug addled chimp. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's a good intro to a DNR guy. I'm sure there's a market for that, though. <laughs> Somebody on YouTube has probably recorded that already. Probably. <laughs> and, they're, and they're probably 12, and they've done it really well. All right, Brett, you ready to run down our yep, list? let's re- do a quick recap. So my top five, number five, is our esteemed guest, Hugo Burnham. Of course, should be much higher. Number four, Bruce Gary. Number three, Lindy Morrison. Number two, Pete Thomas. And number one, Clem Burke. In no particular order, but the drummers who make me feel small and inspired at the same time. Clyde Stubblefield, Winston Grennan, Simon Kirk, Charlie Watts, and Clem Burke. And I thought of him first. You did. <laughs> well, you met We'll him. give you that one. Yeah. Brian, you're up. Uh, my top five uh, was uh, Clem Burke, Peter Prescott, Robert Gray, Janet Weiss and Topper Hedden. And my top five are David Barbarossa from Adam and the Ants, Bow Wow Wow and Republica. Sean Kenny from Alice in Chains at number three, Clem Burke of Blondie, of course. At number two, Dave Grohl, if I have to tell you what bands he's in, just jump off a cliff. And of course, we have Mike Borden of Faith No More. Excellent. What a bunch of great lists. Uh, yeah. Great lists. And may I, before uh, we wrap up, if anyone out there uh, is a fan of Gang of Four, or maybe discovers Gang of Four from listening to this, uh, there is a really fine compilation of groups that were contemporaries of Gang of Four, mostly. Uh, and Gang of Four is on this compilation. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Hugo. In the beginning, there was Rhythm, which is a really fine uh, compilation of rhythmically charged uh, music from that era. Slits are on there. This Heat, Gang of Four, Human League, Throbbing Gristle, pop group, groups like that. Very interesting compilation uh, from Soul Jazz Records. Comes highly recommended if anyone wants to kind of delve further. Pop group, pop group were fantastic. They were, um, we were quite close to them for a while. And their, their drummer, Bruce Smith, who's played with the Slits and Public Image, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, that, that, that was a fantastic time. Uh, for a lot of musicians who went on and continued to do interesting things in other organizations, other groups, other things. So it's easy to look back and oh, punk rock, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of really interesting musicians 
and creators came out of that time, but exemplified by, okay, Sex Pistols to public image. <laughs> right there. All right. Well, hey, guys, let's wrap this up. So hit the randomizer. Brett, let's see what we're talking about next week. All right. Randomizer is being hit for our next episode. And next time we will be talking about the top five albums of 1977. Pivotal year. I hope I go to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Too long on the door. Gang of four. Hugo, thank you so much for joining us. This is a thrill, and I know it's going to send me down a rabbit hole of listening to a lot of Gang of Four music over the next week. Um, I'm really excited to hear your box set. Thank you. When you're going down a Gang of Four rabbit hole, you know, make sure that you there's a couple of, when you go down that hole, there's a couple of little side tunnels, the Mekons, Delta Five, Au Pairs. Pylon. You know, uh, Pylon. Another great Mm -hmm. box set. God, what a fabulous box set. What wonderful people. Another of our old dear friends, you know, uh, we, we have a lot of ties with Athens. You know, bands used to come out and play with us, REM and them. And just, so when you go down a rabbit hole, make sure you explore those side tunnels as well. Yes. What about Love Tractor? You ever play with them? No, we didn't. Oh, no, we Mike didn't. Klein, we've had on a few times. We've had half of Athens on the show. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of good Athens stuff. Five Eight are a good band from Athens. The drummer, Patrick Tigger Ferguson, is one of the best drummers ever. So, yeah, Athens, what a fabulous place. Yeah. We haven't been, but feel like it's a spiritual home. Oh, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where I first was. Somebody bought one of the pylon guys, or maybe R.E.M. or pylon, because I've been going on about Rebel Yell Bourbon, and all the rest of the band was saying, oh, it doesn't exist. It's a figment of Keith Richards' imagination. <laughs> and then the second time we were there, they came into the dressing room and said, Hugo. Here it is. <laughs> How was Rebel Yell? Um, bourbon? I still have it. I still oh. drink it. <laughs> Did you want more, more, more? Sorry. Yeah, oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a little rough these days. But anyway, thank you for having me. This has been a really good time. I've really enjoyed it. And I think the best part, other than the top five, is you graciously allowing me to have my uh, list of honorable mentions because all of those drummers I mentioned means something very deep and solid to me. And I'm, uh, if I have a little scintilla of what they give in my drumming, then I've succeeded. You've succeeded. Thank you, Malord, for being here. It uh, was an absolute thrill. And you are a man and a musician that we are in awe of and we admire very much. So thank you for that. Thank you, Brian, for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. And the last thing I have to say is on behalf of, uh, you know, my alter ego, Professor Caveman, me like beat. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Brian, Brett and Greg. This has been a fun one. I, I tell you, I, I've done quite a few podcasts over the last few months. And this one really is, in, you know, when I was growing up, milk bottles had the milk and at the top there was the cream and you guys are in the top of the bottle. That's the best thing Thank we you. could hear. Hey, did you record that? yeah the theme music is frequency written and performed by yours truly brett vargo any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review examination and news reporting if you like what you hear go to your record store and pick up the lp cd cassette or eight track or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants if we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us go out and see some live music for the latest updates join the o3l community at facebook.com slash only three lads 
We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.